Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the historical Shakespeare special. I don't even know where to begin when it comes to Shakespeare because he's had such a huge impact on my life. And also, how do you even write something about the person who's considered the greatest writer of all time? How? From watching A Midsummer Night's Dream on VHS with Callista Flockhart and Christian Bale on repeat to that hot minute when I was a teacher watching unwilling ninth and 10th graders come alive as they read and acted out Romeo and Juliet and The Tempest. Through all of that, I've often found comfort and pleasure from these tales. I have three perfumes inspired by characters from Shakespeare's plays, Capulet, Montague, and Weird Sister. I'm sure I'll make more down the line. So in honor of the immortal bard's birthday, which is this week, here's a primer on England's national poet. William Shakespeare was christened on April 26, 1564, five years after Queen Elizabeth first became queen and the feast date of St. George, patron saint of England. In those days, you had a christening a few days after birth, so we don't know the exact day he was born, but anywhere between April 22nd and 26th would be it. My birthday is April 24th, so I just go ahead and claim that as his birthday so that we have one thing in common. His father, John Shakespeare, was a prosperous glover and landowner in Stratford-upon-Avon, a town that dealt primarily in the sheep and wool trade. But John had lots of jobs throughout his life. One of them was ale taster. So yeah, Shakespeare's dad was a beer taster. Not too shabby. His mother, Mary Arden, came from a wealthy family and brought a considerable dowry of money and land. So his family was probably what we'd call middle class. Not wealthy, but doing all right in Elizabethan England. By the time Shakespeare was 12, his father held positions on the town council, including bailiff, which was essentially mayor. This is significant because at the time, all traveling theater troops needed to obtain a license to perform. To get the license, they were required to perform in front of the council before they could play for the public. So when Hollywood finally makes the gritty origin story for Shakespeare, it will be because his dad was the mayor that he got his first taste of the stage. It also could have been a way of networking for young wannabe playwright Shakespeare later on. There are no surviving school records, but scholars assume that Shakespeare attended a grammar school, but not a university. This assumption is due to the fact that one, he was the mayor's son, and two, some of the themes and inspirations in his plays. Much of his work reflects the literature, history, and Latin that was standardized and memorized in the grammar schools of England. But because he wasn't university educated, others criticized him as being a social climber who was trying to achieve outside of his rank, which duh, wouldn't anyone? Needless to say, education was definitely a chip on Shakespeare's shoulder. Moving right along, though, at age 18, the bard married Anne Hathaway, a woman 10 years his senior. And I'm such a nerd because when the actress Anne Hathaway started getting famous, I was very confused. Now, apparently back in the day, new marriages were announced in church three times before they would take place. Their marriage was only announced at church once. Then their first child, Susanna, was born six months later. So that was pretty scandalous. No one knows for sure if Shakespeare got her pregnant, then attempted to do the right thing by marrying her, or if she was already pregnant by someone else and they reached some sort of arrangement. We don't know. But over the next few years, they had two more children, twins Judith and Hamnet. Hamnet ended up dying at age 11. But then in 1585, shortly after the birth of the twins, Shakespeare disappeared from records completely. Known as the Lost Years, Shakespeare didn't resurface until 1592, when a posthumous pamphlet by popular dramatist Robert Greene was published. In it, 
he called Shakespeare an upstart crow, which I would like to formally petition that we go back to using Elizabethan swears because they're just so much more poetic and creative. Anyway, if Shakespeare was known enough to be hated by a competitor, it is presumed that at some point during the seven years, he made a name for himself in the London theater scene, either as an actor or a playwright. Again, there's no trace of him during this time. Some truly spectacular theories, however, were that he was escaping his neighbor because Shakespeare illegally poached on his land. Then there's also talk that one of the jobs he found for himself during this time was as an Elizabethan valet, which I can't stop laughing to think about. He'd hold onto your horse for you while you went into the theater to watch a show. No one knows, so feel free to speculate. But let's get back to what we do now. In 1594, he became part owner of the theater troupe Lord Chamberlain's Men. When Queen Elizabeth's favorite actor died, the troupe that previously had been court favorite lost its luster, and the Chamberlain's Men, which was all the rage in London, became popular and was invited to court many times to perform. Elizabeth and Shakespeare definitely met, but it wasn't this grand friendship as is often portrayed now. First off, Shakespeare was a known Catholic, and Elizabeth, of course, was Protestant but she was a great lover of the theater, so she kind of turned her head to it. In the 1590s, until Elizabeth's death in 1603, Shakespeare wrote many of his famous comedies. There's a story, which came 100 years after Elizabeth's death, that she first saw Henry IV and loved Falstaff. She then asked directly for a play in which Falstaff could fall in love. Shakespeare had The Merry Wives of Windsor written for her two weeks later. Since that story came about so long after the queen had died, it's probably got a kernel of truth, but mostly exaggerated. Once the queen died, the Chamberlain's men got to stay at court under King James I and were restyled the King's Men. Shakespeare was a principal actor and wrote many of the plays the troupe performed. This was the era of Hamlet, which might have been inspired by the death of Shakespeare's 11-year-old only son, Hamnet, King Lear, and Macbeth. And my random Macbeth story for you is a few years ago, I was at an immersive theater experience and everyone was given a literary character pinned to the back of their shirts. Your friends were supposed to choose the character based on your personality and you had to guess who you were. My friends were late. So I was by myself and the guy working said he'd pick someone for me. Well, I found out later that he had given me Lady Macbeth, which I was both offended and flattered that that's apparently what people think of me. Okay, digression over. Relevant to what's happening right now Shakespeare did return to Stratford for a time due to the plague when the theaters in London were all closed. He worked on King Lear, Macbeth, and Antony and Cleopatra during this time. He rarely went to Stratford, and it's speculated that his marriage was either strained or unhappy, and then others think Shakespeare was actually gay and it was a marriage of convenience. Nobody knows. But those are really the only details that we have on The Great Bard's life. In researching for this podcast, I was most struck by Shakespeare's business acumen. Culturally, we have a very romantic view of Shakespeare thanks to his sonnets and the overall cliche of the tender writer's heart. But Shakespeare was a theater entrepreneur involved in all aspects of that business and in later years dealt with land holding and granaries in his hometown of Stratford-upon-Avon. When Shakespeare was still a child, after he had been mayor, his father had lost most of their land and fortune. In his lifetime, Shakespeare was able to amass even greater wealth thanks to his theatrical popularity and business investments. The Bard of Avon died on April 23, 1616, aged 52. While it's not known conclusively how he died, a century later, the vicar of Stratford wrote that he had died of a fever after a night of drinking with Ben Jonson. Tragic, but also kind of an awesome way to go. 
In his will, he left his wife his second best bed, which when I read that at first, I was like, oh damn, that's cold. But apparently back in the day, the marriage bed would go to the heir over the spouse. So it wasn't actually a snub, just a weird little factoid. Shakespeare was buried at Holy Trinity Church in Stratford, and his epitaph that he wrote himself is kind of incredible. It has a curse and everything. It reads, Good friend for Jesus' sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. Shakespeare left no direct descendants, although there is a line through his father's sister, but no one alive today is directly descended from the bard that we know of. In the last few decades, there have been a lot of theories put forth about the true authorship of his plays. Even when Shakespeare was alive, people thought someone else was writing them, mostly because of his lack of university education. How could anyone who hadn't gone to Oxford or Cambridge have written a good play? How? Some of the candidates that have been thrown out as the true authors are Queen Elizabeth herself, the Earl of Oxford, Sir Francis Bacon, and my personal favorite, Christopher Marlowe. Marlowe was a famous Elizabethan poet and playwright who was born the same year as Shakespeare, then mysteriously died in 1593, which was around the time that Shakespeare emerged from his lost years as a well-known playwright. Theories abound that Marlowe faked his own death and then created the Shakespeare persona. And fun story here, my favorite movie, Only Lovers Left Alive, Christopher Marlowe is an old vampire who still holds a grudge against Shakespeare, and I cackled in the theater when he threw a knife at Shakespeare's portrait. I think I was the only one. But if you like Tilda Swinton or Tom Hiddleston, you definitely need to watch that. But at the end of the day, there has never been any definitive proof that the bard was anyone other than who he said he was. Shakespeare's work drew from history, mythology, and magic, which are all the things of most interest, value, and passion to me. So to the bard, I say thank you and happy birthday. I have a few recommendations for you in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about the bard. I also have links to my Shakespeare-inspired perfumes. If you are so inclined, please leave a review in Apple Podcasts as it helps others find the show. Then join me back here next week for a special episode where we'll talk about historical pandemics. Thank you.